On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, today marks the birthday of Richard Burton. No, no, not that one. The, the, the other one. The one that you may not actually have ever have heard of. Uh, Richard Francis Burton um, did share some characteristics uh, with his better known hard living namesake. Uh, but he was uh, a man with a very colourful life of his own. He was a famed British explorer who had very strong links to this country. Um, he lived perhaps one of the most peculiar lives of the 19th century, uh, which included sneaking into Mecca in disguise uh, at a time when non-Muslims uh, were banned from entering. Uh, Donald Fallon is tittering already at the mention of that, but he's also the first English, the first man to produce an English language translation of the Kama Sutra, which is almost certainly what piqued Donald Fallon's interest in the whole thing. Uh, Donald is here to tell us all about him. Um, Richard Francis Burton, maybe one of the most famous men in the world of his time, but today he's not even the most famous man called Richard Burton. Yeah, I quite enjoy the common internet mistake of a misattributed quote. And you know that great meme, you know, never believe everything because you see it on the internet and it's presented as a quote from, from, from Lincoln. Yes. Uh, and yeah. we all know the form of the black and white image, a quote in italics, a famous name. Yes. So it was not Richard Burton, the Hollywood actor, who said, the more I study religions, the more I am convinced that man never worshipped anything but himself. Because I've seen that quote <laughs> doing the rounds and I thought it genuinely was attributed to the man, yeah. the actor. Richard okay. Burton studied pint glasses, he didn't study religion, but our, our <laughs> subject today very much very much did and look I first heard about this guy Richard Francis Burton not because of anything he'd done in life I stumbled upon his grave which is the maddest grave I've ever encountered okay. we'll talk about the detail of it in a minute yeah. I love a good grave you know yes. <laughs> a clever grave inscription <laughs> historians love a good grave so Shakespeare's you know cursed be he that moves my bones that's yeah. pretty good isn't it Spike Milligan Oscar Welge uh, mm. I told you I was ill uh, fantastic inscription too but this guy's grave is just something else uh, yeah, his, his grave um, it might be the strangest grave in Britain uh, and I'm kind of fascinated even to know how you kind of stumbled across it but um, he's it's it's almost a museum to himself yeah. and to the travels that he had because it looks like someone's put a tent up in a cemetery right so it looks looks like the kind of thing you would need planning permission for. It's a, it's a tomb in the shape of a, tar- of a carved tent, which is kind of befitting for an explorer. Okay. But at the back of this kind of carved marble tent, you climb up a short fixed ladder. And this is as mad as it sounds. People are trying to keep up with me here. You climb up uh, a short fixed ladder and you look into this kind of carved marble tent. Okay. And you see two coffins, Richard Francis Burton and his wife, surrounded by kind of mementos uh, yeah. of their travels. So it's, so it's, it's more less of a grave and more of a mausoleum then. Yeah, really, it's, like, yeah. it's like a mausoleum. It's like a museum exhibition about this guy's life. So it's mad, you know, and it, it's a nod to the kind of tents that he and his wife, and even the fact that his wife went on these expeditions with him, yeah. is extraordinary. I mean, the 19th century when, you know, women were very much made to be seen and not heard, travelling across the Syrian desert. So, yeah, that's the most unusual grave in a city of very, very unusual graves. So this extraordinary man, this totally eccentric character, that his life is so linked to Ireland makes him a perfect subject uh, for us. And I really like the 19th century explorers. You know, we've touched on them a little bit yeah. on this slot, but normally of a different kind. Um, I am already fascinated by the idea that that as, as early, uh, this early in the slot, you've already introduced his wife to the slot because I imagine if this was the sort of thing that would happen in the 20th century, we would all know the name of Isabel Burton, but as yeah, yeah. it was, she was just the plus one for Richard who was yeah, do, yeah. doing the rounds all over the world. Um, the 19th century was very much an age of exploration in, in many different ways. It's a great time. You know, people are really starting to think about the possibilities of the world and what, what they can do in it. So the Wright brothers, you know, they make the first successful powered flight in 1903. But the run into that, if you will, I mean, the, the, the discovery, the beginning of that journey mm. up into the sky is happening in the kind of late 1890s. A lot of failures, but people have a sense that they're moving in the right direction. Uh, the first attempted Antarctic expeditions happen at the very end of the 1890s oh, as well. Okay, so yeah. there's a lot going on in terms of people's desire to get out there and to see mm. uh, the world beyond what they know. But this guy's travel is of a different kind because he's not really 
that obsessed with geography, though he isn't. In some ways, he's more interested in kind of anthropological stuff, what societies are like, mm-hmm. learning more about different cultures in the world, and going where kind of no you know, white British Christian has, has gone mm. before. Uh, I, uh, I'm i always kind of sobered when I remember that like the Wright brothers only mastered flight in 1903. <laughs> like, but like when you consider that like we landed on the moon like 66 yeah. years later, like it was it was within memory that we didn't fly at all and suddenly you're on another uh, celestial bodies. Um, to, to bring his Irish uh, links into focus here, um, his family are, are a very influential family from Tume in County Galway and some of them had been adventurers of a different sort as well. Yeah, he's born in 1821, uh, son of Lieutenant Colonel Joseph Netterville Burton who sounds very, like a very very important man and they're a big Galway family a uh, few interesting people in the family before him his uncle Francis had been a, a medical doctor from Tum who went on to become one of the doctors who attended Napoleon Bonaparte <laughs> during his exile on, on St. Helena and actually all those doctors came to know Napoleon very well because he had nothing else to do you know, yeah. it's kind of an, uh, an imposed exile on the Isle of St. Helena so you know, this our subject today he's a man of means they send him to Oxford and as one biographer has it, he made his name for everything but academia, challenging another undergraduate who'd laughed at his droopy moustache to a jewel. <laughs> his dexterous tailor for rowdy parties and for charactering the teachers who believed he might one day be turned into a clergyman. A classic student behaviour to cha- challenge someone else behavior. to a jewel. Ragweek uh, every day. You yeah. know? Uh, when he's expelled from the army, he, he joined, sorry, expelled from the university. He enlists in the East India uh, Company's army and he says beautifully, I was fit for nothing but to be shot at for sixpence a day. It's fantastic. So this young man, born in the 1820s, but you know, coming into his own in the 1840s, he becomes really, really curious about the world beyond his own shores. And when he's in India, like many soldiers around him, I suppose, a real interest in the language the people are speaking, the customs mm-hmm. of the people, the religion, culture, all of that. Uh, and he kind of submerges himself in in this new world as he sees it. We've already mentioned uh, in the introduction here his first great adventure, uh, which is worth sort of putting back into its time because it's the, the mid-19th uh, century. Um, he does this thing where he goes into a place of religious worship, which is very much off limits to him. And it's a really, really dangerous thing to do. Like Mecca in, in the in the mid-19th century is off limits strictly to non-Muslims. It's, it's punishable by death to sneak into Mecca. Uh, this is not a spectacle. You know, that's to be observed. It's, mm. a, it's a very serious uh, religious ritual. But he does it in disguise as an Islamic pilgrim. And he kind of learns Arabic to a functioning level takes leave from the army and embarks on what is just an unbelievably dangerous journey. And mm. then he does what everyone who does a dangerous journey should do. He publishes a three-volume book uh, that becomes <laughs> okay. a bestseller. So yeah. he's a public name uh, after doing that. But some of the journeys are mad. I mean, he goes to Somalia uh, in the 1850s in the company of another young British soldier. They're attacked by 200 warriors in their tent. And if you look at any pictures of this guy la- later in life, he's a pretty ragged scar on his face, uh, which is the end result of a Somali spear. So... It's not like today where people who wander in the curious parts of the world are regarded as some kind of great curiosity. Mm. I mean, there are places where he's going where he's not particularly wanted. Uh, and then what propels him into public consciousness and, and condemnation, as you might expect, um, that bit you'd expect, the the act that he does it, you would not expect. Uh, he commissions the first English language uh, translation of the Kama Sutra. Yeah, a book that later ended up banned in Ireland, but <laughs> the censorship of <laughs> Listen, what, what wasn't? You're, you're nobody if you haven't been banned in Ireland. <laughs> he claimed to speak 25 languages, more than that if you include dialects, learns languages quite quickly and became really obsessed with, with, with sexuality and kind of how it varied across customs uh, and cultures. So he publishes the first English edition of the Kama Sutra and yeah, it becomes, to quote one historian, the most pirated book in the history of the English language because people <laughs> regard it because he plays it up to be this as basically a, a sex guidebook but it's mm. not, it's a much broader thing than that. You know, it's an ancient text about all aspects of life 
Uh, but he turns it into something, I suppose, really sensational. And there is a feeling now that he didn't actually do a particularly good job at this, that he <laughs> emphasised the parts of it that he that he wanted. Maybe he's the reason we have that particular idea of what that book is uh, yeah. in, in, our, in our public mind. Um, when he marries, and we've already mentioned the role of Isabel uh, joining him, um, what was remarkable is that she she wasn't just this stay-at-home Victorian wife, as the, the wives of a lot of mid-19th century heroic adventures would be, that they'd, they'd stay at home and be homemakers. Yeah. She wasn't that. She, she joined him. She was at his side the whole time. Mad. I mean, this woman publishes books in the 19th century, like In Our Life of Syria and, you know, Arabia, Egypt uh, and India. I've been in none of those countries yeah. in the 21st century <laughs> yeah, yeah. when it's, you know, much easier to travel across the world uh, if, if you want to. But like no one, no, certainly no woman, no female writer was publishing texts like that uh, in the 19th century. And they, they just go everywhere together. And, and Isabel travels to Ireland with him, which is kind of, Quite dull, actually, by comparison to most of the places that they go to, isn't it? But they write about their journey across Ireland. We went to see the hills of Tara, the site of the Palace of the Kings, the Stone of Destiny, mm. to the Battle of the Boyne site, to Minute College, where the students cheered Richard, and we proceeded to Blarney and we kissed the stone. And actually, Dennis Fahey, a historian, makes a good point. He says, if this guy, you know, he claims to have spoken 30 languages <laughs> and a number of dialects, it's difficult to think of anyone less in need of the <laughs> mythical powers of yes. the Blarney Stone. Yeah. But nonetheless, he went there. He has the gift of several gabs. He really doesn't need any more. <laughs> um, not all of his journeys end up in success. So you have this presumption that, you know, if he goes to Somalia, I mean, obviously that's not a journey that ends in success because he comes back with a massive scar on his face. But he comes back alive from all of these places. But he doesn't manage to make it to all of the end journeys. And there is one great find that does somewhat elude him. Yeah, every great adventurer and explorer has that one journey that eludes them, at least for most of their careers, don't they? And for him, I mean, the, one of the great mysteries of the world was the source of the, of the Nile. And he embarked- of the River Nile. Okay, he yeah. embarks on a journey hoping to uncover that. Uh, and look, there is no denying that whoever discovered the source of the River Nile was going to become one of the great explorers of their age or, mm-hmm. or any other. Uh, but, but he never did. It, it's, it's fascinating to think that a guy who had achieved so much still had this, yeah. in a way, kind of this, not only this yearn to do more, but also to, like for the level of, of fame and repute that would come with being the first guy to figure out where the Nile is coming but, from. But it's every kind of adventure, isn't it? I mean, everyone wants to be the first person to fly. Then they want to be the first person to fly transatlantic. Everyone wants to go that little bit further yeah. and finding the Nile, that was just what eluded him. Uh, maybe it says an awful lot that despite all the, the things that we know about his life and because so much text that he did uh, commit to, to books, um, that the first thing that his wife did when he died was to destroy his papers. <laughs> yeah. I think she was probably trying to protect his reputation in some way because he was back to that old obsession. He was editing and kind of writing around uh, the history of sex and sexuality. So it's only in the 1890s that, that people actually start writing about that stuff in a serious kind of academic way. Yeah, yeah. And your know, terms that we, we all know today, heterosexual, homosexual, they're kind mm. of only emerging uh, in, in, in Tink at that moment in time. But isn't it extraordinary that the grandson of a churchman from Chum was at the forefront of speaking about the great unspeakable subject yeah. uh, in Victorian society, which was sex before that, not to mention the endless adventures. It just really is one of the most extraordinary lives of the 19th century or any other time. And just in the meanwhile, the whole lot of it as well, the fact that his uncle was one of Napoleon's doctors. I mean, like just, just the fact that you could just drop that into conversation. Do you remember when Napoleon was exiled? Sure, wasn't his doctor a Burton from Chum? Who were the boring people in the Victorian age? Yeah, no, well, maybe they're all contained in the papers that Isabel destroyed uh, in 1890, uh, when Richard Francis Burton died. Uh, Richard Francis Burton uh, was born on this day, uh, the 19th of March, his birthday. Never let it be said that there was only one Richard Burton knocking around because evidently there were a few other uh, pretty fascinating characters as well. The story brought to us uh, with uh, as wonderful uh, colour and wit as ever uh, by Donald Fallon, the author of the Come Here To Me books of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia and of Three Castles Burning, A History of Dublin in Twelve uh, Streets, uh, the Easton's Book of the Year 2022. He's also the host of the podcast uh, of Dublin History that shares the same name Three Castles Burning which is also where you'll find him anywhere you get your audio online 
On the Record with Gavin Riley. Sunday morning at 11. Brought to you by PwC. Great minds think unalike. Different skill sets, diverse opinions, it all adds up to the new equation. On News Talk.